Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Volquest.com podcast with Rob Lewis and Jesse Simonton. I'm Brent Hubbs. Austin Price uh, with his family taking care of a few things. So uh, just the three of us here today, but plenty to talk about with this Tennessee football team in an open date at 5-5. Five and five. Everybody had Tennessee 5-5 five and five at this <laughs> point, right? And certainly had them 5-5. Five Maybe five in August, <laughs> not in September. Not, certainly not in September, but Tennessee a winner over Kentucky um, on Saturday night in Lexington, and now Tennessee getting a much-needed uh, open date and a chance to kind of recharge your batteries, heal up a little bit. Jesse, I know you did the review piece, and Rob, I want you to jump in here too, but after looking at it and re-watching the game, what, what's, what's your takeaway from, from the win Tennessee had? What's the biggest kind of the couple of big takeaways you had from the win? Well, they they made one more play than Kentucky. I think is if you want to just kind of distill it down to the most bare bones, you know, whether it was on the goal line or then the bootleg, uh, they certainly made a bunch of mistakes. I outlined a bunch. You know, I mean, it's kind of a running list. Uh, but they they kind of you know the players use the phrase I think a couple times. You know, in the post game interviews, they bowed up on the goal line. And then they were able to get the first down to win the game, and, and that ended up being the difference. They, they gutted it out. It, you know, Rob had a you know, gutsy win in, in the four takes immediately, and I think that does kind of distill just kind of how we all felt leaving Lexington super late. Right, Rob? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't it pretty. It wasn't pretty. But, 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 but how but many it, games in that series have not been pretty? Yeah, Where Tennessee it, was even a three-touchdown favorite, and, I mean, and suddenly it's a ball but, game. I mean, if you, I mean, my biggest takeaway is just compare this team today to the team that you know, lost in horrific fashion to Georgia State, you know, a little over two months ago. I mean, I, I, that, that is my biggest takeaway. It's just the progress that they've made. And, I mean, I think they – I mean, you're big on this stuff. I think they have an identity now, you know, I mean, whereas I don't think they did at all in September. I mean, I don't think they knew who they were. I mean, and, I, and I think, like, all good – and I'm not saying they're a good team, but I think they're headed that way. Like all good teams, I think they're taking on the identity of their head coach, which is, is kind of a tough – no nonsense, not you know, not not pretty, no frills, but but tough and, and effective. Yeah, and I think it's I think there's a, and you said this Jesse afterwards that had Tennessee not got a stop at the at the goal line, then then the view, review piece would have been kind of one step forward, two steps back, or one step forward, three steps back, whatever. It's still kind of the same thing. Maybe it's two step forward and a step back. There there's signs and they're and they're progressing. And then there's those moments where it's like they, they almost can't get out of their own way with some of the mistakes. Covering up a receiver on a, on, a, on a touchdown play, which is just a rudimentary mistake. Trey Smith diving on a pile, which is just a, a bad football play that you shouldn't have. But then you flip it over and you look at the last two. You know, and this is a defense that their defensive ends couldn't block, you know, couldn't play the option for th- almost three quarters of football. But then at the end of the game, when you look at it, and somebody put this on the board, you can look at that fourth down play. There's about four guys who were going to make a stop there. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt called the perfect play call. I mean, he and Derek Hansley knew what was coming. But to the players on the team, they executed that one to perfection. Nigel Warrior's in a great place to make the play. Henry T's coming in to clean it up if Patuli can't get him to the ground. Blakely, I think, is going to get him on the ground without any help. Batuli's there. I mean, it was, it was just like you draw it up on a board. And you have those moments where you see this team do things like that and you go, wow. But then you have the moments where they're still learning how to do it consistently and still figuring out how to win. And I think that's my biggest takeaway from Saturday night. They did find a way to make those two or three extra plays 
to win the football game, which they couldn't do against BYU. They couldn't do at times last year. They haven't been able to do at times over the last 10 years, yeah, to be honest. Th- their ability to finish the last couple of weeks, just from the second half on, has been impressive. And, and I mean, I gave kudos in my review piece. I, I do think, despite as flawed as this team still is, you're seeing kind of uh, why a guy like Fitzgerald was so important and the continuity and the bringing him back, kind of, you know, basically holding him off to, from Maryland a year ago. Um, because whether they're the bigger, faster, stronger, whatever, you're not, they're not wilting in the second half anymore, which you had all those numbers a year ago that they were just getting boat raced after halftime. And so despite an offense that at times is clunky or can't get out of its own way, you know, the defense is bowing up and it's giving their team a chance. I mean, part of the reason this game was a, was a pick em is because both of those teams were super flawed. You know, I mean, they were when you put it out, the, the margin, total margins, total offense, total defense was like, 0.6 for Tennessee and zero for Kentucky. They averaged the exact same amount of yards per play. They were both terrible in the red zone, uh, and they weren't very. The Indy team was very good on third down, and we basically saw all of that on Saturday night. And Tennessee just ultimately got the one stop in the red zone that made the difference. Yeah, and, and because of that, Rob, they're five and five with two to play, and opportunities abound for them that that no one saw w- would be coming. In uh, in in the coming podcast and you know the rest of this week and next week we'll talk much more about Missouri and even Vanderbilt down the line but when you look at this team and Jesse's going to have this later this week open date to open date it's really the growth when I think I think when you go back and look two years from now and I'm not saying two years from now Tennessee's going to win a championship I'm not going down that road they've got to upgrade the roster don't have near enough talent but I think when you people want to know, is this the game that they're back? Have they turned the corner? I think we may potentially look at this five-game stretch between open date and open date where they found footing. They got out of rock bottom. There was a bottom to rock bottom because during this stretch, open date to open date, they have started to climb a little bit, which I, I totally, is a credit to this coaching totally staff agree. and his players. I mean, one of my big things about – Going, this preseason, this whole rebuild is, you know, Tennessee, I mean, I know some fans don't want to hear it, but you don't compare yourself to Georgia right now. You don't compare yourself to Alabama. You need to start beating South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and, and you know, Missouri, like you did for decades. And they just, I mean, and, and that's what they just did. I mean, which program do you think is heading in a better direction right now, South Carolina or Tennessee, after this weekend? <laughs> I, I think it's pretty apparent. I mean, Kentucky, you know, Tennessee, even as bad as Tennessee's been, you know, they still beat Kentucky last year. But that, that, that was a program that won 10 games a year ago. And after, after Saturday, it feels like Tennessee's you know, certainly headed in a better direction than them. I just, I mean, I, I, you're not ready to compete with Georgia. You're not ready to compete with Alabama yet. But I, I, it, it just feels like, you know, the, the dark days, the, the humiliation of losing to Vanderbilt, of you know, not being able to beat South Carolina. It feels like those are in the, in the past. Well, I mean, this was, I'm, uh, this was on Twitter. I saw on Monday, but it was out there that if Tennessee wins the next two games, Jeremy Pruitt will have won as many SEC games in a single season as Butch ever did. Yikes. In year two. And, and we're three and three in the SEC yeah, right now. I mean, yeah, and so, and you know, I agree. I mean, Chiswick had the thing, you know, he, he, he talked to me a lot, and I had that column this summer just about uh, you can't, they can't be worried, Tennessee can't be worried about chasing the, the, the tail of, of Alabama and Georgia right now. You got, you got to climb that ladder in the East first. 
and they're starting to do that. The, the question moving forward, and I do think it's going to be kind of like two-sided, is they are – Jeremy Pruitt has, is starting to lay down the foundation, the identity of what this team is. The question is what can they start to get a year from now when we look forward uh, from some of the other parts of the roster because – you know, Pruitt continues to talk about how young this team, how young this team is. Another one of my takeaways from Saturday is uh, the, the foundation and backbone of this team, are, it is Rob's Butch Jones orphans. I mean, it's these guys that are leading the way. And it is not just, you know, Pruitt likes to say, oh, we only have seven seniors or whatever. Well, it's those guys and then a whole bunch of juniors that have been here for years and have been castigated and written off. McCullough's going to be really good, I think. He was bad on Saturday. Mm-hmm. He and was you a know, freshman. He was a freshman. And you know what they were able to do? They were able to put Theo Jackson in the game, who's played a lot of football the last year and a half, and he was pretty darn good. And, and there's, it's just down the line with those kind of guys. Bumpus, getting, getting him back has been big. That was one of the better games Matthew Butler's played, especially in the second half. Now, you're sprinkling in the great Toa Toa stop. Sure. Aubrey Solomon was fantastic. But what they're getting out of these guys – from the Butch Jones regime and how those guys, and I, the staff deserves credit for developing them, no doubt, and getting kind of the best out of these, you know, misfit of toys. But these play, I, I tr- you got the column coming, you had the column out on JG. From Garantano on down, there's a bunch of guys that deserve credit for kind of the way that they've persevered. And this was a group that no one thought knew how to win, and suddenly they've strung together three straight wins for the first time since 16 and have a good chance at potentially running the table and heading into January with really optimism. And they won't be here next Many of these guys, we'll see about JG, but a lot of these guys won't be here next year. But the Daryl Taylors and, these, and Batulis and these guys saying, you know, we want to leave this place better than when we got here, they're do they're well on their way. Well, I think and I think two things happen in that. And I think this is the lesson that young coaches have to get quick, Rob. For, you know, you if you're particularly if you're a first year head coach and if if that's going to be a guy going to Arkansas, if that's going to be a guy going to Florida State, whatever, you cannot just send the guys who aren't your guys packing anymore. Nope. You used to be able to do that. And and you can do that in basketball. You can flip a roster really quick you know, in, in basketball anymore, but you, you just, you got to have them. And so what you've got to do is you got to figure out, one, how to coach them, two, figure out what they can do and play to their strengths. And I think when you look at this roster, this team, and you look at this open date to open date stretch, I think that's as much of anything that this program has accomplished. Coming out of that open date at Florida, they said, okay, this is what we are. Maybe we can't be everything we thought we were going to be. Let's figure out how to do it with this, with this collection of players. Let's get them to buy in, and let's figure out how to, you know, get a, figure out how to win football games with these guys. I think, I think a year ago there was so much of the, we're going to do it my way, which we're going to do it this Alabama way. We're going to do it this, that, and the other, and and every, the fault was the fact that he didn't have any of his players, and it was he inherited this mess of a roster. The, the, the roster, he's got an influx of good freshmen who are contributing, but it's still the core of the same guys he was playing with last year. I think he's coaching them better and differently, and I think they've bought into what he's doing. So I think it's a two-sided thing. You've got to give the players the first credit because they can lay down and quit on you. But I do give the staff some credit for coaching them for who they are the last five weeks as opposed to what they did the first Absolutely, first and, and one guy you can point to just from a developmental standpoint, I mean, and, and he, he will be here 
you know, for a couple more seasons. But, I mean, there was only three guys that played every single snap on Saturday on offense for Tennessee. Brandon Kennedy and Trey Smith are no surprise. Karon Calvert was good. What graded out as Tennessee's best offensive lineman on Saturday and did not leave the field. Incredible. They rotated Wanya Morris with Jameer Johnson. They rotated Jerome Carvin with Riley Locklear. Tatum and some of those guys came in on some of those jumbo, jumbo. packages. Right. Karon Calvert never left the field and this staff has believed in his upside the previous staff thought he had incredible you know upside as well it's taken a long time there's still going to i think be some bumps and 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 you know uh ups and downs there but i mean that 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 that's a pretty big statement about kind of the development but the buy-in from both the player and the staff that you know darnell wright your big five-star freshman's out what are you going to get from Tatum? All right. And you have the confidence and you don't ever take him off the field. I mean, we'll see what happens at that position the rest of the season. But that, that, that was pretty noteworthy, I thought, coming out of that game. Well, and it, again, you have to have those guys. You just can't play with your, tw- with your 25 or 30 guys you signed in a short period of time and say, hey, this is my, f- this is my football team. You just you, you yep. can't. You've you got to have those guys. And, and the biggest poster child for that is Jared. Garantano. Okay. I would, I would almost throw Nigel up in there too. No, I mean, I mean Nigel's play on the reverse was, is arguably the best football play he's made at Tennessee. Now he was beat on the interception, and a decent quarterback is going to—that's a touchdown. I'm not going to give him a ton of credit for that. He just the ball was so poorly thrown. He get, but to take on the block, get through it, and make that tackle on the reverse. I, maybe the best play he's made since I mean, two, he's been I mean, here. Two of the guys that Jesse's talking about that. I mean, Nigel Warrior is tied for the lead in the SEC in interceptions. <laughs> he, entered the, he entered the year one in his yeah. career. He started off the season. And Daryl Taylor is tied for the lead in sacks in the SEC. That's, that's pretty strong. And two guys who were non-existent in the month of September. We, we, we did podcasts. You did review pieces. We, we talked about it walking down the street to going and doing other things. It, it was like Nigel Warrior was the missing man. You didn't even know if he was out there. And the same could be said for Daryl Taylor with a slow start. Yeah, those guys, I, I think the clock probably hit them square in the head. That hey, I got about six or seven of these left, and if I don't get it together, I'm not going to get an opportunity. So part of it's on them, but I think the other part of it is you know some schematic stuff that they're doing. Some schematic stuff, and then and then you know, I, who knows how the games would have went because they did play so poorly, especially against Georgia State. But you know the fact that Batuli has become just cemented himself as one of the best linebackers in the league uh and and again they're putting him in positions to succeed they're not asking him to make a lot of plays in coverage anymore he's kind of going down in the box more as kind of another secondary rusher on some passing plays he drops back i think he had like 10 play or nine plays in coverage out of like 15 snaps on saturday but mostly it's run ball you know see ball hit ball you know type of deal and he's he excels at that i mean that's why it was i mean i asked him after the game you know was it a lot like playing georgia tech when he had 20 whatever tackles and he said it was and i mean that those are two of his best performances he had 20 some against you know south carolina too so he's really coming into his own as well well and i think matthew butler said his post game he's the glue he's the glue to the defense and, and i think robbins you talk to to daniel and you, you don't get the sense he's the most you know, outgoing. He almost feels a little bit introvert, in, introverted. But I think the glue is that it's not just that he knows the defense. I think behind the scenes, he's more of a vocal leader and a better leader than everybody thinks. I think the respect people have for him 
helps Nigel Warrior play harder. Yeah, it helps some of these other I guys agree. play. And, and Daniels, is, I mean, you can, I mean, he's kind of cerebral too. I mean, you can you can get that. I mean, he's he's a thinker is what it, it sounds like. So I mean, I my point being, I think he I think him being back or not, you know, he's been back for a while now, but I think he really helps Henry a lot. I mean, whereas I, th- I think Henry had a lot on him early in the season, you know, when Daniel was out. Right. And I, I think that I, I think that playing alongside Daniel really you know takes some pressure off him. And, and uh, we touched on it a little bit, man. That the play he made on, on the goal line down there that was for a freshman in the SEC that was that was two twenty five knocking him back. And that that was and I had just it was almost a throwaway line in my piece, but it's hard to discount how fortunate and. Uh, you know, Tennessee's had some pretty decent injury luck this season overall, knock on wood for the Vols. But, you know, and that looks scary when Henry went out yeah. and you're like, ooh, what's going to happen? And I know, you know, J.J. was only out there for five plays or whatever, but I, they, they, they needed Henry Toto in a game like that when, when Kentucky was just going to run it, run it, run it. And so that was pretty important. Well, and your end zone cam video of that, the patience he showed on the third down play to not just attack, you know, because so many times it's just put your head down and, and go into a gap and hope that somebody's there in the goal line. But for him to have the patience he had and then to strike with the explosion he had, that was not a freshman football play. No, um, it, it was it was beyond, it was beyond a freshman football play. That was a huge, obviously a huge, huge play. Um, and you're you're exactly right. Fortunate for Tennessee that the injury was not where. I mean, when he's heading to the Kentucky Medical Center for x-ray or whatever he was doing when he went the opposite way, he didn't go to the Tennessee locker room, you thought, uh-oh, that, that's not good. And for him to be able to come out and gut it out and finish uh, was, was huge for Tennessee. They, I don't think they win the football game if he doesn't, if he doesn't do that. Tough, right. tough kid. Let, let's, let's talk about moving forward. Everybody asks the same question everywhere you go. What do you do at quarterback? Man, how do you not play number two? Just start him? I mean, how do you not? I mean, I, I, mean, I, know, I mean, he was, he, he was probably – came out of the Alabama game as the most divisive Tennessee football player that we've ever covered. Maybe maybe, maybe a little bit of Arian Foster in there, but because of the position, you know, I, I think, you know, JG takes the cake. But, I mean, that, maybe Maurer is rusty or whatever, but, I mean, we were talking before the podcast. I, mean, I, I get why people are excited about Brian Maurer, but he's, he's thrown 55 passes as a college freshman and he's got four interceptions. I just don't see how you – I mean – I don't, I don't see how people don't think that Jared gives Tennessee the best chance to win. Yeah, other than other than if you're like doing some sort of like you know good fortune luck deal. Voodoo hex. Yeah, and and you think don't you, mess with karma. Yeah, you think you got to keep creature him, of habit. Whatever. Got to keep him it. being the sixth man. I mean, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I don't know how you just don't start him uh, at Missouri. But we, how, how how surprised were you here? Were you to hear them say on on the telecast? We were talking about this earlier that. I guess Jawan went to the coaching staff and said, "Hey, Jared gives us the best chance to win." It wasn't halftime at Kentucky. You said that. No, it's apparently the in the week, maybe even the week, you know, maybe even two weeks, maybe the UAB game or, or, or that week. Apparently, Jared that they reported that. I thought that was pretty noteworthy. You know, Jawan's not exactly been a guy historically that was kind of in that camp at least several years ago, but he has been very uh, pro JG this season um, and. Right now, you can't argue with his with what he's saying. I mean, what is he? Jarrett's thrown five touchdowns and almost 500 yards in his in his relief appearance games since since Alabama, and he uh, has come up clutch despite Tennessee starting every other guy on the roster at quarterback except for him. It's, I mean, I wrote it in the three two one. It's it it works. It's work, but it's 
it's one of the more unusual things that you'll that you ever see because I think if you ask anybody who gives Tennessee the best chance to win people in the program people around the program will say Jared yet he's not the guy that's been starting which is just the most un- unusual thing and I'm not saying the coaches have done anything wrong obviously they've made it work um, I mean, making a change was justified oh when, I, when Jeremy made it. oh no, no. yeah to, to take Jared off the field oh absolutely absolutely is 100 percent justified to do to do that and because Jared was playing really poorly giving you he was not giving you a chance to win you didn't know what you had with the other two, but Jesse, at that point in time, you had to find out because you were absolutely. going nowhere. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and and now, but now, you know, Jarrett alluded after the game how hard you know those days have been. You had it in the column. It, it does seem like he's kind of climbed out of whatever that funk was. Yeah, he's crossed some kind and, of middle Rubicon. Yeah, and he and he suddenly looks a lot like the guy that I think fans, players. Coaches in that in that in in that building all kind of expected this summer, which he's still going to make that intercept that that throw that he had you know uh, in the end zone every once in a while that's terrible. But he's also going to put the ball you know in some of those 50-50 back shoulder plays where only Tennessee's big old wide receivers can make a play. I think it's interesting with him, you know the UAB game. He got he got hit so much early in that game. I think his eyes go really bad really quickly with him when he gets hit. Because I think it's, and I think it's just because he's been hit so much in his career that I do think he starts, I don't want to say seeing ghosts, but he starts people watching at the line of scrimmage. Saturday, he's got the best pocket he's probably had all season long, you know, and as a result of that, the accuracy is better. His timing seems to be a little better because he's not, he's not looking for anything around his feet, so to speak. And, and, and I, I do think that the cleaner they can get, and this is true for any quarterback, but given all he's been through, if you want to keep him in rhythm, just keep him upright. Well, he was also, you talk about like see, not seeing go. I mean, he was, he did read the field well on Saturday. And, and you know, when he saw that Kentucky was in bail quarters or, or, or that, you know, he had avenues to run, he took off and ran. He got Tennessee five yards or 10 yards. You know, I had, Tennessee only had three gains over 10 yards all, all night, and all three came from the quarterbacks. Well, the fact that he was a leading rusher. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the most it's the most un-Tennessee, or maybe the most Tennessee thing ever, Rob. That the, that the guy who lost his job has come back and, and left the game in, in a must, you know, in really a big win and, and a much needed win as Tennessee's leading passer and Tennessee's leading rusher. Uh, I, I don't think anybody would have won a bet on that one. Um, I mean, there were a lot of surprising things in that game if you just look at the stat sheet. But the fact that Tennessee could not run the ball on a Kentucky team that is was giving up five yards. You know, a carry to opponents. That that one that one shot me. Well, and they didn't really try. I think that was the other thing that jumped out. And and, and Cheney was at the quarterback club on on Monday, and it, it, this was an interesting take that he had. Uh, somebody asked him about the evolution of offense, talking about the spread offense, and he said one of the biggest evolutions in offense for him was the emergence of Randy Moss, and that it was throw it up, let him go get it, explosive plays, and suddenly offense was about not turning it over and making explosive plays, cheap points, getting, getting vertical, getting all those types of things, and much less about balance and some of this other stuff. Um, but there are times where that's what he does, is, is it's all about a chunk play, and, and he almost forgets a little bit about the run game. And, and, and in that game, um, at the end of the game, you're kind of looking around and going, boy, they didn't even really give, didn't feel like they gave the running game much of a chance. But then you see 
the turnover with Ty Chandler, you know, I'm not sure they can run it to the well, right side. Well, and also in that first half, what they have four possessions, three yeah. three and outs. Five, or, five, five with the five with possessions, the last. three three and outs, and yeah. the last one was yeah in the, in the half. And so once they got the lead, they did try to run it a little bit. I've not looked at this, looked at this. How many times did they run it to the right side against UAB when Jared was on the field? Oh, I, I could go back and look. Via I'm going to go back and look at that because I wonder. You know, we talked about the the hand and everything. If you go watch, it's it's clunky when he tries to hand off to the right side, which was the play that Chandler fumbled on that was wide open. But you know, I wonder how many times they've actually tried to run it to the right since Jared's played with the cast on his hand because that one looked awkward. Well, and then they, and then UK sold out on that that run at the end, and that was why the the bootleg worked. You yeah, know, because uh, everything was going left. Yeah, so good play call there for for sure. Um, what's Tennessee need to accomplish most this week? Is it just health? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, obviously, it's just yeah. They're just going to be. It's just. I think a lot of the staffs going to be in and out recruiting anyway. So this is a week for some younger players, some, your Elijah Simmonses, those kind of guys to get, you know, even more work. I, I don't think you know Bryce Thompson and some of these guys aren't going to take a practice rep. I'd be surprised if if they but, did. I mean, with only two to play, you kind of are who you are, right? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I, I also think that like for some freshmen like McCullough, who we talked about a little bit for Crouch. I mean, this can be a big week where you can kind of. You know, coaches kind of kind of take a step back, and you know, you've got a you've got some, a, a lot of tape to look at. Here's you know, here's what you're doing well. Here's where, you're, if you want to stay on the field, you can't do this anymore. You know, that kind of stuff. What do we think of Missouri two weeks out? Golly, how hard are they to figure? I mean, they're to, they're two totally different teams at home. Away. They actually do have met, metrics wise are pretty good defensively, and they showed some of that in the Georgia game, and that they held Georgia to a bunch of field goals. Now Georgia's had some red zone issues this year anyways but Missouri could have lost you know 50 something to nothing if Georgia had gotten touchdowns but they kind of bowed up in the red zone considering Tennessee's own red zone struggles I think that's going to be a big emphasis next week on the practice field uh but uh, I mean as Rob said they're hard to figure because they're two totally different teams home and away they haven't scored you know the two Tennessee's final two opponents got outscored what was it 80 something to nothing is Kelly Kelly Bryant back I mean that's is Kelly Bryant back that's enormous uh yeah, so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we may find out a little bit more about them when they play Florida, Florida this week because yeah. they'll be back at home. Uh, Do they rally? Or are they are they kind of right. done? You know, yeah. where, where are they at? And, I mean, I think that plays in Tennessee's hands hugely. Them playing two games like Florida and Georgia back-to-back where you're coming off a of bye week. I mean, they're going to be banged up. Well, and that's an, and that's an offense that's, that's fleeting in confidence. Even yes. if Kelly Bryant's on the field, that's an offense fleeting – in confidence because they haven't put up any points right where's uh, Rommel? against anybody where's Rommel? <laughs> i mean you know just the kelly Bryan experience i mean i know he's not been healthy but even when he was healthy they it, it was there was a real filling out process it, it seemed to you know it, it almost felt like their offense was a little different than what he thought the offense was going to be a little bit more running him and you know his talk when he went there was about being a pro style quarterback for the league and all this other stuff and he didn't have some of the weapons that they've had you no, know, they still got the really good tight end. So that um, that'll, that'll be kind of the, the guy that field. Tennessee circles. Alberto? Yeah, Alberto. And then Roundtree is, I mean, you talk about pride. I mean, you know, Missouri's running backs have just Oop. run roughshod over Tennessee the last couple of years. And Roundtree is still there. And he has not had a great season, but he does at least have some ability. Be, be, be an interesting watch on Saturday between, ten, between Missouri and Florida to keep an eye on as well. And that could be an ugly-ass game, though, because that's going to be, you know, it's 11 a.m. kickoff oh, yeah. or whatever. So. Uh, who wants to be there? Oh, you man. know, I mean, uh, w- which one wants to be there? Let's jump, jump to recruiting. Tennessee picks up a commitment 
out of the blue from a 2021 prospect. Athlete Kids on out of campus, Virginia. yeah. He's on campus on Sunday after a road game. Lesson here, recruiting never stops. No. I mean, it's, it's always going. No, I mean, Ansley, you know, some of these guys are already out of town. But that that's one of those ones, you know, a lot of times with the, with the underclassmen, that's where your uh, quality control guys and other guys, they, they kind of get their teeth in early um, with some guys, especially because – uh, or especially with, excuse me, those those kind of guys are the guys that are so heavily involved in the summer camps. Mm-hmm. Your Joe Osavets, your Jeremiah Wilsons, your Brandon Diedrichs, those guys uh, kind of behind the scenes for Tennessee. And so this is a guy that Tennessee offered. They were one of the first to kind of give him that offer this summer. Maryland, Florida State, Kentucky, some others. A lot of those kind of in the in the Potomac out there. I think Virginia, Virginia Tech were involved um, as well. To get him back on campus, he's long, he can run. Uh, I mean, we'll see. It's an early, early deal. I think the bigger deal is kind of what's going to happen, you know, with Tyler Barron. How, you know, he had kind of his ominous tweet uh, coming off the heels. <laughs> I don't want anybody to know what's going on, but I'm going to tweet out my decision is looming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll see on, on that front. I mean, you know, Tennessee, again, it did not hurt at all that Tennessee beat probably their biggest competitor for, for Tyler Barron, although I don't think one individual game means a whole lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, that the kids are going right. to make their own decision, not just based on a win-loss that they saw. But, you know, the fact that Tyler was there, Octavius Oxendine was there, you know, AP and I laughed in the, in the recruiting thing for Sunday. And, you know, the, the, you know Chris Morris, is, it, it, everyone in the world knew that was going to happen, that old Chris was, you know, that his, he was not going to shut his thing down. Uh, at all. So I think all three of those guys are kind of ones to watch for Tennessee. Octavius and Chris, though, Tyler, we'll see. But, you know, he, he, originally it was going to be his birthday. That was in late October. Now is it going to be closer to Thanksgiving? You know, we'll, we'll see. Um, the other two, they are going to be signing day decisions. Octavius has already December announced that. December decision. 15th or 18th or whatever that day is. They, they are going to be December, first day of the early signing period decisions. Yeah, and I'm with you. I don't think one game makes a difference, but it is when when your finalist is the other team playing on the other side, and they're celebrating at the end, and then you're going into a recruiting lounge to hear a you know a song and dance from the losing coach that says you know we need you this that and the other. But you know all a bunch of guys you know and are friends with on the other side of the field are over there celebrating. That that one's a little bit different than and just where your high school teammates said it. Yeah, that's a little bit different than just watching. You're right, you're right. But I'm with you. Kids aren't making a decision based on one game. Right. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Like, I would, like on, on the flip side, I would not. I do not at all think Tennessee would be ruled out if, can, if Bowden scores on that fourth down. Yeah, I agree, you know? with, I, I agree with you. Um, what, what do you make of Jameer, Jamiri? Jam, Jamari, Jamari Butler. Butler? What, what do you make of that? That was, again, another one surprising. See, Jesse the does blue. better than me, but I, I watched. I mean, just what, what I know about him, I like him a lot. I, mean, I, I like kids that are. Two, two sport guys, and I, mean, I think just because nobody knew who he was heading into this year is I mean, means nothing. Yeah, and it, well, he has a decent offer list considering this is the first season he's played high school football. I mean, it's you know it's t- Texas A and M and Nebraska and but you know he's got some Ole Misses in there. Uh, I'm blanking on a couple others that he has. He had he technically has visits planned to. We'll see if he takes them again. Another camp guy. He was here this summer. Um, got the offer. I think Tennessee wanted to observe how it kind of translated on the field, right. and it's translated to the fact that, that he just runs around and sacks the quarterback. He's got almost 20 sacks, uh, a million tackles. He's a, he's a basketball player that want, that thought he was going to be able to go 
you know, high-level D1. Um, and he does average, you know, I think 15, 18 points on the hardwood, but it just didn't translate. So some folks got into his ear uh, this summer, apparently, which is how he camped at a bunch of places and started to earn some, you know, maybe not committable offers this summer. But, hey, we're really intrigued by your upside. Runs a 4'6", four, 4'5", four, at a Nike regional camp. You know, if you're, you're six, whatever, three, 220 pounds and run a 4'5", there's – some coaches can find and, some place and, to work. And, and, and unlike a guy, and this is not to, you know, we've talked about him, but unlike a guy like Reggie Grimes this season, you have seen a, Jamari Butler has translated that raw athleticism into production. And I'll just I mean, people have been on our board for a long time, though. Chad Simmons has seen a lot of good football players. And I know that Chad, Chad likes him. And, that you know, that, that, carries, that should carry some weight. You know, and this may not be fair. He kind of reminds me of Daryl Taylor. He is. When Daryl Taylor came, remember when yeah, Daryl Taylor he was got a wide receiver? He's a, he a, you know, a wide receiver. He's thin. He plays a little little defense, but it's 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 one of those you know the upsides there because he's got all the measurables, but you but you didn't know. And watching him, he reminds me a little bit of Daryl Taylor. We'll see what he turns I mean, into. Two fifteen, two twenty. Yeah. It's hard to believe, but I mean that's a fact. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of of that one. And those guys, you know, sometimes those guys turn into if he's got the right mentality, turn into really. Well, and the other thing players. is, too, Tennessee can't exactly afford to be picky. Here. No, because that's a position and, and, and that And so if you get a guy play. that has that sort of just immense upside, you know, from there's various scouting people that think that this kid, you know, does have, you know, high, a very, very, very high ceiling. Don't know what his floor is because he is just so green and, and he's only played. I mean, again, this is the first year he's played football since the seventh grade. Um, but, you know, you lose Jordan Davis, you lose Ojolari. Not crazy about Grimes. There's some other, you know, Deontay Craig and some other guys that you kind of passed on. Now, Morvin Joseph, the Florida State commit will be up here. Uh, does he actually project more as an inside guy, though? Uh, so to go ahead and get a, a player at a position of need, I think, was important kind of heading into this final, whatever, whatever it is, month stretch we got before the early and signing I'm not, period. I mean, not, not remotely am I saying he's going to be, you know, one of these guys. But how many guys, I mean, how many guys that we've seen that play college basketball that didn't play college football that are in the NFL now as tight ends. I mean, it, it happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, some people wanted to compare him to Roman Harrison just because he was kind of a diamond in the rough. He's type not deal. that strong. Well, but he's I mean, also, he's, he's, got, longer, he's longer. longer. But he's this guy's got, got 34-inch arms and he's six, you know, I mean, it, Roman's interesting. Roman also, I think, has a lot of work to do, which is why he didn't see the field on Saturday. I mean, that, that's one that... But he's also strong as an ox. I, but I think with Roman, it's going to... What, what you're going to wonder about with him he heading into inside? the spring, where, where does he play? Yeah. I mean, because maybe he's not at, he's in a position where they have to have bodies right now, but he's not getting a ton him of – Him and Crouch of, both. Yeah. I mean, is, is he more of an inside guy than he is an outside guy? And is that something that they will look at during a bowl preparation if they get to six wins? Certainly uh, in, in spring practice as well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, he's had a hard time. I'm not surprised that he's had a hard time. I think the athletic ability is obvious. The strength is obvious, but the transition to where he's playing uh, has been tough for him, and that's limited his snaps uh, throughout this season. All right, so there's a little recruiting update for you. There's some football up for you. Tennessee basketball team is playing Murray State in the ever popular 9 p.m. start on a Tuesday night in November. Uh, but, Rob, I think when you look at Tennessee, the, the, the injury stuff is, is the concern. You know, just this team's not, not healthy. No, when I mean, they're going to get healthy. I think that's one reason, you know, I think I mean Josiah is healthy now, but I think he he missing like basically three weeks in October was was big. I mean that's put him behind for sure. Um, 
Pember is going to play. He's not going to redshirt. I mean, and with, you know, with Tennessee's lack of size, if you get a six-nine guy sitting on the bench, that's that's not ideal. Uh, they need, you know, he's not going to be a star, but they need 10, 12 minutes a game from him. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna advise him with some serious ankle braces and high top shoes, yeah, like I mean, wrestling style. High I mean, top Rick, shoes. And Rick, Rick talked on Monday, and he he does not expect him to play Tuesday night. And and you just wonder how, how much you know the, the ankle injury is not the same thing he dealt with as a senior. Right. That was a, that was you know, stress fractures his foot, but you just wonder, you know, some guys have. have I mean, it's it's a thing. I mean, it, it just plagues them, and you know, I, I wonder just being so thin, and having you know that much length that that's not something he's gonna. He's going to deal with, and um, Devontae Gaines is a guy that's going to play. I mean, I, I mean, he's going to be, I, I would probably the third, third guy off the bench right now, and uh, you know he's got the thumb thing. So. Right. And Pons has been a little Pons bit beat has up, been a little gimpy, but I mean, God, that 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 kid's an ox. I mean, he's just he's he's he is tough, and that's that's really you can't tell much right now at all. Exhibition game, and you know the. The game last last week against UNC Asheville overmatch. I I, I really like the move of Pons down inside. Yeah, I, I think that's. I mean, I, I think that's going to help tremendously. Everybody wants to know about Euros. Man, I, I, it just seems like a stretch. It, does, it does, and I've, I've written about it. And I've talked about it. You know, ten, you know, Rick talked about it again on Monday a little bit. That you know they're they're still hoping, but. As I understand the appeals process, the stage that they're at right now is designed from for the from the NCAA's standpoint of being an avenue for you to present new information that was not available when you made your your previous argument. And I don't think Tennessee's I don't think Tennessee has any new information to present. I think they're just basically saying, "Hey, look at you, it. Would again. you change your mind? Right? <laughs> Will you look at it one more time for me, please?" Um, so Tennessee plays Murray State tonight. We'll get a little better look at the Vols. We'll see if the senior backcourt. Can play a little bit more to Rick Barnes' liking. I bet they do. I bet they don't turn it over as much and take as many uh, out of character shots. What do you bet? I bet I would say that's a very safe assumption. I yeah. think it's been a tough week for those two. And on then the practice floor. we'll learn a lot about this basketball team coming up on Saturday, Saturday. Uh, when when they're ESPN Plus, ladies and gentlemen, this is your chance to get it. Is that right? It's on the plus for 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 Tennessee. They're not moving a football game. Yep, for Tennessee and Washington in in Canada. So. Uh, that, that's coming up on Saturday. We'll learn a little bit more about that basketball team then. As we go out the door here, uh, and we're a little bit long, but I do want to do this. Quick thoughts on what you saw out of the Alabama-LSU game, and give me your thoughts on where Arkansas is going to go and how challenging is the Arkansas I know, job. I, I think me and Jesse would both agree. We were surprised there were that many points yeah. scored. <laughs> I you didn't will. see a shootout coming? <laughs> not, 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 not 40 fun, something to 40 not something. Not 86 points. Yeah. Man. No. <laughs> Neither one of us. Uh, I was not surprised that LSU won the game. Uh, the stat came out, I think, on Monday that, you know, Alabama's given up uh, almost, it's like 5.86 yards per play in the SEC this year. Um that is the exact same amount of yards per play that Oklahoma is giving up in the Big Twelve. It's amazing. It's crazy. I mean, their defense. What a crazy stat. I mean, I'm not. I'm not surprised at a lot of things. I just never thought I'd see Alabama play defense or not play defense the way they are. I mean, and if you think about it, the last couple of times they've gone toe to toe with big boys, they've been. I mean, the scoreboard has been dinging. I mean, Kyler Murray. I mean, once he once he, Oklahoma figured out some things in that second half. Yeah, know, well, put, and, the, and the, well, the coach here. Probably wishes that he could, had he kept his foot on the pedal in one of those games. When I mean, Georgia scored what it was twenty eight and thirty in those games, and they probably should have scored more. You're talking about Cheney. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When they were when they were going against him, I mean, there's 
There's some things people have found against the spread. Now, Alabama's young. Uh, but the, the thing that jumps out about Alabama is they're just not dominant up front. They're just they're, that defensive line is not a dominant defensive. Yeah, line. I mean Jennings had a couple sacks early in that game when we were, we were heading down to Kentucky watching it on the iPad. But uh, I mean they honestly could have gotten blown out at home if you know Waddle doesn't have the punt return and and they you know got a kind of a cheapo touchdown late. I mean. Burrow might have won the Heisman too. I mean, I would not be. You know, if, you, if you're if you're holding a Burrow ticket, you're feeling pretty darn good right now. I've got a Heisman vote. I, how do you not put him at the top spot right now? To me, yeah. I mean, given who he's played, gone on the road and won at Texas. Okay, Texas may not be great, but he rallied that team to win. What he's done in the fourth quarter of big ball games on the road has been impressive. We'll see if he finishes it off, but it, it's when the shine and the shine has worn off on some of the other candidates. Tua, you know, what I mean, obviously. Tua would be in, and Tua is still through, you know, it's hilarious. You know, Tua at eighty percent or whatever, he still threw four hundred yards and what yeah, I mean, he was really good. Yeah, uh, had that weird fumble that, that looked kind of like a JG play from earlier this season, honestly. But I mean, right now it does seem kind of like it's Burrow versus versus Fields. Yeah, kind of. I mean, and, and I think right now LSU and Ohio State are two best teams in the country. Yes. If, if I were doing, if you were doing your playoff four, I mean, those, that's one and two. And Fields' teammate would have been on there, but now with yeah, I mean, Chase Young right. deserved to be in the conversation. I mean, because he probably is the single most dominant player in college football right now. Who's your other two t- playoff teams? Clemson. Clemson's going to make it. I mean, just oh yeah, we did a so classic got, five. Put, and put, I think I, I, it's gonna, people are going to freak out. And, it's going to be every columnist's dream, but I think Bama. It's going to be. Very, it's going to be. It's going to be. Unless Georgia beats LSU. Yeah, because right now the, the rankings will come out, and I think Bama will still be four. But I think it's going to be between Georgia, depending on if they, you know, they obviously have to win this weekend at Auburn, too, which isn't going to be easy. But if Georgia wins out and then beats LSU, or Oregon wins out, which means they would have a win over Utah. Um, they got to beat Arizona State, although Arizona State, Herm's shine has kind of wore off a little bit. You know, they did almost come back against USC, but I think those are probably the teams. Yeah, I think Alabama would be favored by two touchdowns. But how many people are going to go no Alabama just because of the, 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 the flack that, I mean, everybody's a little bit, Chris Lowe said this on the Nations tonight. There's a little bit of a burnout factor with Bama. They're there really is, and right now, I, I, do, I, I think it's going to be interesting because here's what we know about the, play, the playoff thing thus far is that every team is not actually evaluated the same. The, the, the way they say it, they claim it, but that's not, you know, they talk about, well, it's who, you, who you've beaten. Alabama's only beaten two teams that have a winning record. One of those teams is Texas A&M who people think have, has largely underperformed this season. Their best win will be Auburn. If they right. Can. Well, and, but, and so I'm just saying, if you're just matching up, Oregon has beaten a couple top 25 teams. Georgia has beaten a couple top 25 teams. You know, so you start, more, you start going down what, what we'll see kind of how it measures but out. I mean, Georgia's, if they beat LSU, they're in. But otherwise, they're going to have two losses and be out of conversation. Yes, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And they got to be, and they got to win this weekend at Auburn first. Which is not going to be the easiest no. lay down for, for them. Although, you know, one would think that Georgia defense could give yeah. Nick some issues because he's, he's, I don't want to say he's hit the freshman wall, but there's clearly a book on him uh, in terms of how to defend him. And it's been, it's been harder for him to Might last be the book on weeks. Gus. Maybe it is the book <laughs> on Gus. Um, as, as we go out the door. Speaking of Gus. Yeah, Ar- speaking Ar- of Gus. Arkansas? Arkansas? What do you, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I would put Mike Norvell as leader in the clubhouse, wouldn't you? Yeah, I just wonder, yeah. If, he, I just wonder if he holds out and says I can get a better job. I mean, I, that's certainly – 
would be something I would be. I wonder how far they got to go. a school that's openly challenging the NCAA, though. How many football coaches want to yeah, hang around for exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. Memphis is flipping the double bird. <laughs> at the NCAA. You know, I mean, they're giving. I mean, Memphis is giving the NCAA the Rashawn Golden here. I but mean, he could get Florida State. He might. Get I mean, Florida I mean, he, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think be. he. I think he's going. Arkansas is going to have to wait to see who Florida State gets. I think because if they're trying to, to swim in those same waters, hands down. That's a better yeah, job. So the question is, do they do they end up with a guy? You know, a lot of people think this that Leach wants to get out of Pullman. Does he go there uh, because his I don't think his buyouts that much, or or do they or does you know Arkansas end up going way down the list? And I think this guy's a fantastic coach. But you talk about not winning the press conference, folks in in, in Fayetteville will will riot if they end up with Willie Fritz. But Willie Fritz is is a darn good football mm-hmm. coach. He is a good football coach, Mike Leach. They got a losing record. I think they've got one. They're one in four in co- conference play. He's talking about zombies. That's not really. It's not really cool in press conferences when you're one in four. It, it might play out there, but I don't know that that plays down down here. But I, mean, I think. But I think Fayetteville. I think the, the Arkansas people would say, "What we've done lately isn't working. We need to get weird." And 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 Leach. You could. He also would not be part of their problem. Is they keep zigging and zagging from you know you right. want to be different than the last guy. Right. So you go Petrino to Belima to to Morris, and now you have a roster that's just you talk about misfit toys. At least Leach would be running a similar type spread scheme that Chad Morris has recruited to for two cycles. Outside of Vanderbilt, is Arkansas the hardest job in the SEC football wise? It's got to be when you look at the recruiting. I mean, world and State? playing in the Western no, Division. There's better players in Mississippi. Yeah, now. but they're also Alabama gets every one of them they want, LSU, <laughs> or LSU. But where's know? the Arkansas recruiting base? I mean, it's I mean, it's Arkansas and Texas. Well, that's and why they hired Morris, and he couldn't get any Texas yeah. kids. Which why I, got, I, I just think that's a really, really hard job. I, I do. I, I mean, think I, I agree totally. But I mean, I throw Mississippi State in that conversation. I mean, just Mississippi State just had three guys drafted in the first round, though. Facilities. Well, I mean, Arkansas. You go back when years where they've had Darren McFadden and yeah, that's true. I mean, that's some good players there, no doubt. They've they've had success. It's not like I mean, Doctor Trina won ten games there, or something yeah. that long. Not been a. They, you know what they need? They need think, I still think that's They need job. some helping. It's, I mean, it's Houston wise, nuts going back. I mean, you've been there. Facilities-wise, it's Arkansas oh, it's Mississippi nice. State. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Arkansas's facilities are nice. There's there's no doubt about that. Any chance Walmart Gus – Walmart money, baby. Does Gus leave his – does Gus leak his name out there just to create chaos? I, just, I mean, he's going to go – he's going to go eight and four and half – maybe more than half the people are going to want to fire him. Oh, yeah. At Auburn. But he's also what, – what, what is it? 20-plus 20, 20 million still? It's something insane. They would have to fire me. If I wouldn't leave town, I'd leave twenty plus million on the table. But he might pull off the upset and beat Georgia and then everything. I mean, that, that's the greatest. That's the great thing about Gus. Every time he's, every time they're getting ready to pull the plug, he beats one of these two teams at the end of the he year and, and gets an. And not only do they he gets save an his extension, job, he gets a raise and an extension. And he's out in, of he's it. in he's in a New Year's Six Bowl, and, <laughs> and they still, you know, half the fan base still wants to, you know, send a movie truck. To it, it, it's crazy. All right, we went long on the podcast, but I, I wanted to get your all's thoughts on on a couple of those topics not related to Tennessee at the end. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of AllQuest.com podcast for Jesse Simon and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubs. Have a great Tuesday, everybody.